The establishment media have had enough. Okay, it was fine. It was all right on election night for nobody to pick a winner because, you know, they still had to increase Joe Biden's vote count by a lot overnight and then in the ensuing days. But now, look, it's been several days, more than several days, and Donald Trump and his terrible family and his rotten appointees, they've all just got to concede, okay? And why do they have to concede? Because Jake Tapper says so. The response or lack thereof from Republican officials when it comes to the untethered and wild allegations being made by the president and his spawn and his supporters uh, about the uh, election, all the crazy and false claims about it being stolen. You should check out the the uh, the Twitter feed of the president's spawn because it is like rantings in cran by somebody having an LSD trip. I mean, it is somebody these are these are claims that are just so wild um, that they wouldn't even make forget Fox. They wouldn't even make Fox business where, you know, where all sorts of facts go Meanwhile. to die. That's very serious journalist Jake Tapper. He's a very serious man. That's why he refers to the president's children as spawn. And that's why he wants you to know the claims of fraud, they're wild, they're crazy, they're totally untrue. And that's why you definitely shouldn't look into any of them. Don't look into what went on in Pennsylvania. And definitely don't look into what happened in Wisconsin because nothing happened in Wisconsin. What are we talking about? Fraud? What fraud? I don't see any fraud. Move along. Move along. Ain't nothing to see here. Actually, there is something to see here. We'll go through all the facts as we have them. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from yesterday comes from Joe Mann, who says, I'm really scared of dying now since I don't want to vote Democrat. <laughs> I know, you know, generally uh, we should have no fear of death. Certainly Christians should have no fear of death as we anticipate our eternal reward and the beatific vision. But the only, the only downside then would be that you are much, much more likely to vote Democrat after you have shuffled off this mortal coil than, uh, than right now, particularly in some of these Democrat-run machine cities and machine states, though Jake Tapper would deny that. I was reminded watching this clip that Jake Tapper is just awful. He's just awful. You know, they try to position Jake Tapper. He is the reasonable one. He's the moderate one. Okay, he'll hold Democrats' feet to the fire. He's got that kind of grizzled face, you know, and, and he he's serious, and he'll say it like it is. No, I, I don't think he will. He refers to the president's children as spawn, and now he's threatening any Republican of any kind who refuses to concede this election before the legal process plays out. He's threatening their livelihoods, their careers, because that's what the establishment media exists to do. They exist to bully you, to hide information, and to push their own narrative. He's trying to put people in a very precarious professional situation. You don't want to put yourself in that kind of a situation, though, so you got to check out LifeLock. Working from home has some serious challenges. Okay, hotels are advertising daytime room reservations for guests seeking quiet, distraction-free, family-free work environments. <laughs> but according to the FBI, accessing sensitive information from hotel Wi-Fi poses an increased security risk over home Wi-Fi networks. Hackers can exploit lax hotel Wi-Fi security to steal work and personal data. It is very important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. You know, we, we just don't think about it too much because it's kind of technologically advanced and you think no one wants your data. 
They do. And LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like, for instance, your social security number for sale on the dark web. Uh, I used to not worry about any of this stuff. Uh, Oh, data, it's okay. It's no big deal. Nobody wants my stuff. And then I've seen what happens when people have their identities stolen. It is so awful. You got to prevent it. Obviously, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own. Join now and save up to 25% off your first year. Go to LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That is LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S for 25% off. You're going to need the savings because Jake Tapper wants to ruin your career. Jake Tapper tweets out, quote, I truly sympathize with those dealing with losing. It's not easy. But at a certain point, one has to think not only about what's best for the nation, peaceful transfer of power, but how any future employers might see your character divined during adversity. So listen, buddy, that's a nice job you got there. Sure would be a shame if something happened to it. I truly sympathize. He does. Jake does. He didn't seem to sympathize Uh, Or rather, I suppose he sympathized too much with the people who uh, lost in 2016, who never gave up the election. He seemed to sympathize. I think he still sympathizes with them. But he seems to have lost some sympathy for all of us who want the legal process to play out. Bush v. Gore took 38 days to push recounts in one state. That was totally fine, according to Jake Tapper. But now waiting for the legal process to play out for how many days has it been? been five days or something like that. That's too much for Tapper. And look, it's not just about the good of the nation. Well, you know, it's about your career too. I'll tell you what, Jake, I truly sympathize with those establishment media hacks trying to rush us past the legal process here and not have anyone look too closely into what happened in Philadelphia, maybe in Wisconsin, maybe in Arizona, maybe in Nevada. I, I truly sympathize with them. They don't want any nefarious actions from election officials to come out. Uh, But I think uh, right now one has to think about how this is going to end in the courts one way or the other. Maybe the courts give it to Biden. Maybe the courts give it to Trump. But this is not going to end because the mainstream, I don't know, how mainstream are they? The establishment media tell us that it will. Not just CNN showing their cards right now, by the way. CNN, remember CNN used to be the central, centrist, center left cable network. MSNBC was the left wing one. Fox News was the right-wing one. Then, during the Trump era, CNN became the furthest left-wing cable news outlet. MSNBC was still avowedly left-wing, but they were just more honest and and actually less hysterical about it. And Fox News remained right-wing, though it had moved significantly more to the center. Well, now Fox News is leading the charge to kick Trump out of office. So uh, there was a a Fox News reporter, Sandra Smith. I've been on her show. She's always been very nice to me. Uh, Sandra Smith was caught on a hot mic, though, uh, muttering under her breath at how outrageous it is that the Trump campaign is still still going along and, and pushing and trying to win this election because Fox News already called the race. Remember, just because CNN says, or even Fox News says that somebody's president doesn't make them president. So I think everybody what? wants to know that this was done properly mm. and legally. What is happening? Trace, we've results. called it. And I think we have to look into every one of these concerns. Yeah, so and I think, yeah, and I think Cleta makes a very good point there, Steve. So Sandra obviously thought that the microphone and the camera had cut away from her, and she thought she was just on a closed mic to Trace Gallagher and said, come 
come on, Trace, what's going on here? Now, what's, what's interesting about this, I, I don't, I don't know Sandra Smith all that well, you know, did the show a bit, but, uh, I, I don't know that her outrage is coming necessarily because she's a radical leftist or something like that. I, I think she's expressing a view that a lot of journalists are expressing right now, which is the indignation that they have called the race and the Trump campaign is not willing to allow the, the media to call the race. Because of course, in our constitutional system, the media do not decide who wins presidential elections. The states certify winners and then the electoral college votes. And it doesn't matter if CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News calls the race. They're not the ones who get to decide. And uh, so I think Sandra's indignation that she's expressing here is representative of a lot of journalists who say, what? We called it. We did it. How dare you not accept that we in the media have called this election? And Sandra is certainly not the only person at Fox who has been hammering the Trump campaign, not, not even close. Uh, Chris Wallace, who you may recall uh, m- moderated the worst presidential debate in American history. And uh, it was, it was a disaster. I mean, he, he was, I think the, the worst moderator ever. And, and I don't know what it is about Trump because I've enjoyed watching his interview shows before Chris Wallace. He's, he's always been much fairer than people on CNN or MSNBC, but I don't know. There was just something about Trump where he was interrupting all of the time. It was a a disastrous debate that got bad reviews from everybody. Chris Wallace is now saying that, that uh, president Trump and the people in the Republican party defending him are ridiculous. They're soldiering on like people who don't realize that the war is over. Dana, uh, it would seem to me that Republicans on Capitol Hill have a role to play in this. A very few of them have said, look, you pursue your legal options, but, uh, you know, damp down the rhetoric like Mitt Romney, like Pat Toomey. Uh, There are a lot who are just silent. And then there are some, I mentioned Ted Cruz, uh, you know, who who are like uh, the Japanese soldiers who come out uh, 30 years after the end of the, uh, of the war and uh, out of the jungle and say, you know, is the fight still going on? What do you expect the mood to be inside uh, Senate Republicans, you know, as they begin to think perhaps their future is no longer so directly tied to Donald Trump? Well, also remember the Senate Republicans were counted out. I love Dana Perino just gives a straight answer, even as she's being baited by Chris Wallace over there. We're one week from the election. There were no results on election night, no results today. RealClear Politics still hasn't called the race. RealClear Politics, which is a very reliable source, you know, it kind of takes in information from all of the news sources. They still haven't called it. The media don't call it generally. No state has certified a winner. So no, I, I don't think it's like the Japanese soldier who 30 years after the war comes out of the woods and thinks the war is still on. Notice what Chris Wallace says. He goes, why can't Republicans be like Mitt Romney, who conceded the race on Trump's behalf immediately? Why do they all have to be like Ted Cruz? What's the difference between Mitt Romney and Ted Cruz? That sounds like this, the start to a joke. It sounds like a setup. Maybe you can come up with the punchline. The, the straight answer is Mitt Romney is a liberal Republican and Ted Cruz is a conservative Republican. And that's what it's about. 
And when the media use these terms like the spawn of Donald Trump and the soldiers in the, in the jungles after World War II, these foolish idiots 30 years after the war, what they're really saying is it's okay to be a liberal Republican and it's evil and terrible to be a conservative Republican. And that is the view now being pushed by every single establishment media outlet, every single one without exception. I think you catch my drift. It's not even the mockery. It's not even just the snide comments. At this point, all of the establishment networks are actually cutting off, cutting away from undermining the elected and appointed officials of this administration. That is a very scary story. Not as scary though is the story from Wondery that you should check out. Imagine you're a parent nervously pacing around your injured child's hospital room. A doctor begins asking you question after question about how your kid got hurt. Then, as he's asking these questions, you begin to realize they're asking about your involvement in the accident. Where were you when he fell? How did he actually fall? And then you slowly start to see that they think that you hurt your child intentionally. Wondery and NBC News present Do No Harm, the terrifying true story of a family torn apart by the system that was supposed to protect them. Investigative reporter Mike Hixenbaugh chronicles what happens to the Bright family after their three kids are ripped away from them and the shocking moments that came next. With exclusive audio captured as the events unfolded, Do No Harm takes you inside the most harrowing moments of the Bright family's fight to protect their children. Subscribe to Do No Harm on Apple Podcasts. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app to listen one week early and ad-free. Very scary story. And the scary political story now is that the establishment media have no respect whatsoever for our elected and appointed officials. Because I think generally speaking, the media believe they know better. And so they'll allow this democracy thing, this republic thing to play out every so often. But once they've decided enough is enough, well, enough is enough. So Neil Cavuto, also on Fox News, committed an absolutely unforgivable act the other day. Kaylee McEnany, the press secretary who makes all of our hearts go pitter patter. She was giving a press conference describing in detail what was going on, the, the many irregularities at these polling places. And I, I almost can't even say it. Neil Cavuto cut away from Kaylee. 10,000 swords should leap from their scabbards to avenge even an insulting glance from a established media journalist, much less cutting her off mid-sentence. I was furious. Take a listen. There is only one party in America trying to keep observers out of the count room. And that party, my friends, is the Democrat Party. You don't take these positions because you want an honest election. You don't oppose an audit of the vote because you want an accurate count. You don't oppose our efforts at sunlight and transparency because you have nothing to hide. You take these positions because you are welcoming fraud and you are welcoming illegal voting. Our position is clear. We want to protect the franchise of the American people. We want an honest, accurate, lawful count. We want maximum sunlight. We want maximum transparency. We want every legal vote to be counted and we want every illegal vote. To whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I just think we have to be very clear. She's charging uh, the other side is welcoming fraud and welcoming illegal voting. Unless she has more details to back that up, 
I can't in good countenance continue showing you this. I want to make sure that maybe they do have something to back that up. But that's an explosive charge to make. The other side is effectively rigging and cheating. It's an explosive charge. It's, it's outrageous, unless she's got evidence to back that up. And I don't know what the evidence is because I'm just a journalist. So I, I, I obviously haven't looked into this at all. Well, you know, actually, <laughs> if any of the journalists uh, would open their eyes and, and uh, if they could stop uh, lavishing praise on Joe Biden for one second and stop congratulating the president-elect Joe Biden for just one second, you'd see a lot of evidence, a lot of evidence of fraud and irregularities. Now, that doesn't mean that the, the evidence of fraud and irregularities is enough to change the result of the election. We don't know. That's what the legal process is for. But to say that there is no evidence whatsoever, that is crazy. That is simply ignorant. Ronna McDaniel, who is the head of the RNC and a Michigan native, uh, she outlined just a little bit of the evidence that they found in Michigan. Poll watchers or poll election workers blocked windows and padlocked doors. Obviously, that's, that's not going to instill confidence. Um, there are thousands of reports of poll watchers being intimidated and unable to do their job. And as of 4 p.m. this afternoon, 131 affidavits have been completed just in Michigan with over 2,800 incident reports that have been submitted to us since Election Day. Two new lawsuits were filed today by people who were working, who were working in Detroit and a whistleblower who has gotten their information, we have gotten their information to the Eastern District Court of Michigan. As you guys can understand, with 2,800 incident reports, this is a lot to track down. It means we're interviewing these people, we're getting their statements, and we're turning them into affidavits. In addition to that, we've heard hundreds of in instances of election workers who were verbally accosted, uh, our poll they verbally accosted our poll watchers and refusals to let them challenge questionable ballots. Election workers were wearing Biden t-shirts and applauding when our poll watchers were kicked out. 2,800 incident reports, 100, what is it she said, 130 some odd affidavits already, sworn affidavits. We already knew, I guess uh, Neil and some of the other establishment journalists didn't know, that Republican poll watchers were not permitted to watch the polls. And then, it, it, at least in Philadelphia, there was a court order saying you have to let them watch, but you know what, you know what happened? They still were not permitted to watch the polls. What's that about? That to me seems like quite a lot of evidence of wrongdoing, irregularities, use whatever euphemism you want. What were they hiding? And then in Michigan, thousands of incident reports. Well, how, how many votes does that affect? Maybe it affects no votes. Maybe it's all a big misunderstanding. But if it is a big misunderstanding, we're going to need to let that play out in court before all of you in the establishment press and establishment technology and establishment higher education and, and, and the liberal establishment itself before you all start popping bottles of vuv to celebrate, celebrate Joe Biden's apparent victory. What evidence do we have? That's an explosive charge. Okay, you just heard from Rana talking Michigan-wide. How about in Detroit? There's a Detroit elections worker named Jesse Jacob who testified that a supervisor ordered him to backdate absentee ballots. You know, throughout these states, and we all called this the minute we heard about widespread unsolicited mail-in votes, said there's going to be this problem of fraud, not even that necessarily it's hundreds of thousands of dead people voting, or that it's hundreds of thousands of people voting who aren't supposed to be voting. But even in the case of people who do have the right to vote, if they don't vote by the deadline, 
That is an illegal vote. That vote cannot be counted. If it is counted, then the worker who counted the ballot has committed a crime. If it's systemic, then you've got major corruption in the election system. And we know for a fact that there has been longstanding corruption in major democratic cities like Philadelphia, like Detroit, like all of the places that are being contested right now. So Jesse Jacobs says, a supervisor told him to backdate absentee ballots. He says, quote, I processed absentee ballot packages to be sent to voters while I worked at the election headquarters in September 2020, along with 70 to 80 other poll workers. I was instructed by my supervisor to adjust the mailing date of these absentee ballot packages to be dated earlier than they were actually sent. The supervisor was making announcements for all workers to engage in this practice. Then further, I directly observed on a daily basis, city of Detroit election workers and employees coaching and trying to coach voters to vote for Joe Biden and the Democrat party. I witnessed these workers and employees encouraging voters to do a straight Democrat ballot. That obviously extraordinarily illegal. I witnessed these election workers and employees going over to the voting booths with voters in order to watch them vote and coach them for whom to vote. That's one guy, but we have sworn affidavit here, testimony of what was going on in Detroit. Was it just that instance? Was it just those 80 poll workers? Okay, so 80 poll workers, how many ballots did they influence? How many ballots did they backdate? How many, I don't know, let's say, could, could it be a uh, hundred? Probably more than a hundred, maybe a thousand? I don't know, could it be 2,000, 3,000? How many? Is it enough to swing an election? Was it just these poll workers or were there many more? There are 137 sworn affidavits just in Michigan alone. What about outside of Michigan? Pennsylvania. Lindsey Graham just received sworn affidavit from a postal worker in Erie, Pennsylvania. This is what that postal worker says, quote, although as I understand Pennsylvania law, ballots must be postmarked by 8 p.m. on election day, November 3rd, 2020 in Pennsylvania, postmaster Rob Weisenbach directed my coworkers and I to pick up ballots after election day and provide them to him. Now consider this for a second. The, the ballots have to be postmarked by, by November 3rd, election day. The postmaster says, I want you to go out there, pick up all those extra ballots that are now illegal ballots. Just bring them to me. Why would he do that? Do we think, first of all, that those, that those ballots are being collected to help Trump or to help Biden? No. Philly's pretty, pretty, uh, pretty blue city. I don't know about Erie generally. Something tells me, though, this was brought in to help the vote count for Biden. Just a, just a hunch. Again, I'm just going on my gut here. So this postmaster gets the ballots. Why does he request them? Why is he willing to put himself out there to commit a crime? after the election day? Is it because he just loves Joe Biden that much? Maybe, because it could be. Or is it because there's some machine at play that he's being offered something here to do this? I don't know. I just don't know. Only way to find out, take it to court. This uh, whistleblower goes on in his sworn affidavit. I heard Weisenbach tell a supervisor in my office that Weisenbach was backdating the, the postmarks on the ballots to make it appear as though the ballots had been collected on November 3rd, 2020, despite them, in fact, being collected on November 4th and possibly later. Why are the counts still going on? Why, why, are, why haven't they certified Alaska at this point? Why haven't they called Alaska? I don't know. Isn't that weird? I think Alaska is pretty much for Trump. Why not call it? 
Why did everything take so long? Why did they stop counting on election night? Why in some cases did they say they stopped counting on election night, but they kept counting in the middle of the night? Why did all the Biden ballots come in in the middle of the night? Why did they take a day off in some places and then start counting later? Why were they buying so much time? Was it because ballots were coming in after the election and they wanted to see how many they needed? I don't know. I'm just asking questions. We do know that there are in many places more registered voters than eligible voters. That's just a fact. Can't fact check me on that one. If you do, you'll find out it's true. A report was just issued. This is from Judicial Watch indicating that among 353 U.S. counties, 1.8 million more voters may have been registered than eligible voting age citizens. 1.8 million. Some people are saying there's no way Trump can overcome the, the difference now between his votes and Biden's because Biden has something like 2 million more votes, something like that. Well, first of all, he doesn't have to. He needs to overcome little margins of 8,000 to 20,000, maybe 50,000 in certain places. It's a lot different than 2 million. But also, it turns out, we've got almost 2 million extra voters on the rolls who are not eligible. They're just registered. Now, in normal years, even with some use of mail-in ballots, that wouldn't pose a problem or it would pose a, a minor problem because you still have to request the absentee ballot in normal years. Not this year. This year, the ballots just got sent out, sent out to everybody. Maybe you changed your address, but you didn't change it with the election board. Well, then someone's going to get your ballot. Maybe you died. Maybe you are not eligible anymore. Doesn't matter. The ballots went out, 1.8 million of them in 353 U.S. counties. That's just according to this one report from Judicial Watch. We don't know how widespread in, in practice the problem actually was. Now, that, that uh, statewide registration exceeding 100% includes Alaska. I still haven't called it, I guess. Colorado, okay. Maine, okay. Maryland, Michigan. Michigan, very important state. Jersey. Jersey's going to go Democrat anyway. Rhode Island, Vermont, same thing. Michigan though. Let's just take Michigan. Very important state. Doesn't matter though, right? Because Neil Cavuto doesn't know about any of that. He hasn't, he hasn't Googled it. <laughs> I don't know. He hasn't read the report from Judicial Watch. He, he probably hasn't been listening to Kaylee McEnany or Ronna McDaniel because he can't bear it. He wants to turn off the press conferences. Jake Tapper says, wild claims being made by the spawn of Donald Trump. You're going to lose your, you're going to lose your job if you don't concede this election, says Jake Tapper. Well, much, much more serious people than the journalists in the establishment press are looking into this. Not just Judicial Watch, not just Rana and Kaylee, also the Attorney General. We are very pleased to report that the Honey Badger, Attorney General Bill Barr himself, has come out and directed U.S. attorneys to pursue significant allegations of voting irregularities. This is great news. One, because it's acknowledging there were voting irregularities. We don't know quite how widespread they were, but they were significant. Much, much, much more significant than anything we have seen, at least in my lifetime. Probably since going back to Tammany Hall or going back to LBJ stealing that Senate seat in Texas back in 1948. So that's great. On the, on the one front, you got the DOJ acknowledging that really happened. But then on the other, you see Bill Barr is being careful here. He doesn't want to appear irregular himself. So he says, serious allegations should be handled with great care, specious, speculative, fanciful, or far-fetched claims should not be a basis for initiating federal inquiries. 
So he's saying, look, if it's some wild accusation, there's no evidence for it, or it's a very minor allegation that really wouldn't have swung anything, we're not going to spend federal resources on that. But for significant claims of fraud with evidence, we're going to investigate very thoroughly. This is pretty important. I've noticed, especially watching Jay Tapper, but watching people on the left like him or watching even some people on the right, people are very impassioned right now. And, and I understand why, I mean, especially on the right, because the people on the right think that the election was stolen. You'll notice I have not been quite as impassioned, quite as screaming from the rooftops, making big claims. And I am making the same claims now that I made a month before the election, which is namely the mail-in ballots have posed this singular problem. The crooked cities such as Philadelphia and Detroit have posed a singular problem. We're not, we didn't know on election night who the winner was. We still don't know who the winner of the election is. It's going to go to court. The legal process is going to play out. This has happened before in American history. It will happen again in American history and the courts will decide who wins. And people still might not be happy with that. And they might say the courts didn't do enough or they might say the courts did too much, but that is the way the process will be playing out one way or another. And so we want to be cool headed here. We want to be patient as the left is screaming, call him the president-elect, call Biden the president. We have to tune those guys out. We have to be careful too on the right because the right might say, look at this explosive evidence of some fraud. And you say, okay, well, I'm going to look at it, but I'm not going to just accept it, you know, and get my hopes up necessarily because if that falls apart, or even if it was true, but there's no way to prove it, that's not going to affect the outcome in the end. We are in a very precarious situation right now. The only thing we can do is wait. We can stand by the president. First of all, we cannot refer to Joe Biden as the president-elect. I think it's preposterous and silly liberal Republicans like Mitt Romney, court jesters in the kingdom of liberalism, ought to be ashamed of themselves for doing that. We shouldn't do that. Neither should we pop champagne ourselves and say Trump's getting reelected necessarily. We're in a precarious holding pattern and we're going to know a lot more next week once that legal process is playing out. In the meantime, though, Cocaine Mitch is admonishing his, uh, his Democrats in the Senate, his colleagues on the other side of the aisle, and telling them that he doesn't want to hear any lectures about, about conceding elections immediately. And this is very important because for a while you saw Senate Republicans were being a little timid here. Were they going to pull a Romney? Were they going to pull a Jeb and concede the election on Trump's behalf? Or were they going to stand by Trump? Which side? Are you going to be a weak, squishy Republican? who is basically just going to play the court jester and, you know, give limp opposition to the, Demo to the liberal democratic ruling regime. But then when push comes to shove, you're going to, you're going to lay back or are you going to actually fight? Mitch McConnell is going to actually fight. We'll get them fighting in one second. First though, please, I would recommend that you like and subscribe to the Michael Knowles show YouTube channel. That is where we put our show out every morning. Uh, you know, they're trying to shut us down on various social media platforms, particularly right now, since the entire establishment press is already handing this election to Joe Biden. And some of us out there are just not ready to do that because the facts on the ground don't support that yet. So big tech is very upset about that. Make sure you like and subscribe. You may have already liked and subscribed to the YouTube channel and they may have just unsubscribed you. So, you know, give it a little look-see, head on over there and make sure you go to dailywire.com, especially right now when you can't trust the establishment press, go to dailywire.com. The replacement media. We are coming in, we are going to replace them, and we are not going to 
call elections before the elections are over. Unlike apparently every single establishment outlet. Go to dailywire.com right now. We'll be right back with a lot more. Cocaine Mitch has had enough. He took to the Senate floor yesterday and he reminded these Democrats with the attention span of a fruit fly of how they reacted to the 2016 election when there was basically no evidence whatsoever of fraud or irregularities, when there was not yet widespread mail-in unsolicited votes that completely compromised the system, when there was not any of that stuff. And they, many of them, refused to concede that election. So Cocaine Mitch just doesn't want to hear it. Let's not have any lectures, no lectures about how the president should immediately, cheerfully accept preliminary election results from the same characters who just spent four years refusing to accept the validity of the last election and who insinuated that this one would be illegitimate too if they lost again, only if they lost. So let's have no lectures on this subject from that contingent. In late August, Secretary Hillary Clinton said, quote, Joe Biden should not concede under any circumstances. I think this is going to drag out and he will win it if we don't give an inch. That same month, Speaker Pelosi and the Democratic leader both stated, quote, President Trump needs to cheat to win. In October, when Speaker Pelosi was shopping some conspiracy theory about the Postal Service, she recklessly said, quote, listen to this, I have no doubt that the president will lie, cheat, and steal to win the election. Pretty reckless rhetoric, isn't it, from those Democrats? But now, all of a sudden, they say, listen, we need healing. We need unity. We need healing. It's, let's come together. Yeah, no, I know. I was just... I was just uh, threatening you. And I know I spent four years not accepting the results of the last election. And I, I know I told Joe Biden not to concede under any circumstances, including a Trump landslide. Uh, but hey, you shouldn't, you shouldn't suspect me of corruption. Hey, you sh- come on. Come on, you mean old Republicans. Oh, that, that was then. This is now. Stop. Stop uh, pursuing this election. Stop pursuing the legal, the legal fights. Implicit in what the Democrats have been telling us is a threat. They said, we're going to blow up the whole system, right? They said, we're not going to concede the election, even if we lose. They told us that. Hillary told us that. Jake Tapper right now is saying, if you don't concede the election, we're going to ruin your careers. The Trump Accountability Project is trying to punish anybody who supported Trump or worked for Trump or gave money to Trump, namely anybody in any way who has ever helped Donald Trump. They want to publish a list of those people. AOC said, we need to publish a list of these people. Go out and uh, punish them for what they've done. And now we're being lectured on propriety. Well, Cocaine Mitch says, I don't think so. And by the way, they've been physically threatening us for six months now, or more, seven months. Do you remember the riots? Mr. Cocaine does. At this time last week, small business owners in cities across America were boarding up their windows in case President Trump appeared to win and far left mobs decided to reprise their summer rioting. Suffice it to say, a few legal inquiries from the president do not exactly spell the end of the republic. L.A. is still boarded up. I walk up and down the streets in Los Angeles. There are still boards on the buildings. Now, none of the stores have been looted or or 
or mobbed or broken down or set on fire. Why not? Because the left thinks that Joe Biden won. That's why. And conservatives, you'll be shocked to hear, don't riot. They don't loot. They don't go steal Gucci bags to mark presidential elections that they lose. That was the threat. We have the evidence of these physical threats, these essential threats against the integrity of our elections all around us in our major cities. And now the left is going to lecture us about propriety and civility. I don't think so, buddy. I don't think so. Doesn't move me at all. But Joe Biden is acting as though he has, in fact, already won. You have one of the Obama era flunkies, Ben Rhodes, who is, he was a big force behind the Iran deal and other very disastrous foreign policies under Barack Obama. He is now describing how Biden, the transition has begun and Joe Biden is talking to leaders around the world. The Trump people seem to be talking like they have some agency here. We're going to have the pageantry already of the president-elect announcing his advisory board. He's going to start announcing cabinet secretaries. The center of political gravity in this country and the world is shifting to Joe Biden. Foreign leaders are already having phone calls with Joe Biden talking about the agenda they're going to pursue January 20th. If that reality hasn't sunk in yet for some people in the White House, it will sink in when they have to leave on January 20th. We'll see if they have to leave. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. We don't know yet, Mr. Rhodes. The one thing I do know, though, the one thing I do know, and I think he accidentally let that slip, is that Joe Biden is doing the very things that the Trump transition did that got them thrown in jail, that got them hauled before a court of law. Ben Rhodes just said that Joe Biden is speaking to leaders around the world. Joe Biden is not the president. He's not even the president elect, although he certainly thinks that he is. You remember Michael Flynn? Michael Flynn was going to be Donald Trump's national security advisor. Michael Flynn had his life ruined by the deep state because Michael Flynn, as the incoming NSA, had the audacity to speak to foreign leaders, to do the exact same thing that Biden and the, apparently the Biden transition team is doing. Do we think Joe Biden is going to get thrown in prison for that, hauled before the, he's, he can't do it. He's violating the Logan Act. You know, they, people always bring up the Logan Act, which is this almost certainly unconstitutional, very old law that says the private U.S. citizens can't negotiate with, with foreign leaders. And it's, it's mostly been ignored. One, it's a violation of free speech is how it's typically been viewed. But also uh, it would mean that transition teams can't do anything. And so no one ever actually fights this. I mean, if, if that were the case, John Kerry would be rotting in a prison cell right now. He'd be in Alcatraz because John Kerry has continued to negotiate, sometimes out in the open, with foreign leaders, especially in Iran, after Trump came in and ripped up that stupid Iran deal. So Joe Biden is doing that already. I wonder if we should pose some legal challenges to that. If I were Mike Flynn, I'd be very upset right now. I might think that this is not a fair fight, that the system is set up against Republicans, that the system is set up to defend Democrats, that the whole system, the bureaucracy, the administrative state, maybe the people counting the ballots. I don't know. We've got a lot of sworn affidavits about it. Meanwhile, bad news from some of the Biden advisors. Some of them are really, really bad. In fact, one of the top advisors that Joe Biden is tapping to lead him on coronavirus, if Joe Biden should become president, is a guy named Zeke Emanuel. Zeke Emanuel is the brother of Ari Emanuel, the Hollywood super agent, and he's the brother of Rahm Emanuel, former chief of staff at the White House, former mayor of Chicago, pretty disastrous. 
Zeke Emanuel was one of the guys who brought us Obamacare. Zeke Emanuel is a guy who said we're going to be locked down for years, which I guess turns out he was right. One thing people don't really know about him is Zeke Emanuel has a fixation with death. There are some people right now who are in the field of scientific research that pursues uh, life extension, how much longer people can live. You know, I guess, I guess all of medical science in a way is pursuing life extension so that we don't die of diseases at 30, you know, that could be cured and you could go on to live to 80 or 85 years old. Zeke Emanuel, a few years ago, it was about six years ago, published a piece in the Atlantic called Why I Hope to Die at 75. Subheader. An argument that society and families and you will be better off if nature takes its course swiftly and promptly. He says, 75, that's how long I want to live. 75 years. My, this, dri- this drives my daughters crazy. They think I can't mean what I say, that I haven't clearly thought about this. Because there is so much in the world to see and do. To convince me of my errors, they enumerate the myriad people I know who are over 75 and doing quite well. I'm sure of my position. Doubtless, death is a loss. It deprives us of all the things we value. But here is a simple truth that many of us seem to resist. Living too long is also a loss. And he talks about how, you know, living too long is kind of humiliating. We, we know you've got to use a cane. You've got, you can't uh, do things as well. Your memory slips a little bit. So he wants to die. Democrats seem to want to die. There is a culture of death that pervades the left. They want to kill babies before they're born. They want to kill old people as they become infirm. They support euthanasia, which is assisted suicide for older people, a morally hideous concept. And they, they want to uh, off themselves at a certain point or not pursue reasonable uh, life-saving treatment. So I've heard from some people, they say, yes, we should die earlier because it's better for the environment. Say so we should die earlier because it's better for the economy die earlier because it's less of a burden on our families. All hideous, hideous stuff. A reminder here that first of all, science rests on philosophical and theological premises. That's what the basis of it is. We we only have science because of those premises. And science, as we think of it today, this very narrow field of material inquiry, cannot provide us necessarily with those premises. It assumes them. And the the people who are coming in, the experts, the advisors here, have some pretty perverse premises. Do you really want a guy uh, who is hoping that people will die at 75 to come in as a top advisor to treat a virus where the median victim is 80 years old? Five years after he thinks people should die? Uh, That doesn't sound so great to me. Sounds like some of their their vision of the world is a little messed up. And I think that's true probably across the prospective Biden administration, even as he's counting his votes before they've come in. And maybe some other people were counting votes before they came in too, or before they were uh, dubbed to be legitimate. I'm very pleased to be able to say that Joe Biden is not yet the president elect because the thought of having guys like Zeke Emanuel in charge of diseases, not a good thing. The idea of having guys like Ben Rhodes in charge of foreign policy, not a good thing. Fortunately, though, this has not been decided yet. And some crazy news out of politics. AOC says she might leave politics. The future of the Democratic Party, according to the DNC chairman, Tom Perez, might leave politics. She just gave an interview to the New York Times. She said, I genuinely don't know. I don't even know if I want to be in politics. You know, for real, in the first six months of my term, 
I didn't even know if I was going to run for re-election this year. It's the incoming, it's the stress, it's the violence, it's the lack of support from your own party. It's your own party thinking you're the enemy. But I'm serious when I tell people the odds of me running for higher office and the odds of me just going off trying to start a homestead somewhere, they're probably the same, says AOC. Now, at the same time, AOC is angling herself to try to enter the cabinet if Joe Biden is named the president. So pe- people in politics do this all the time. They say, uh, sir, senator, senator, are you considering running for president? He goes, well, now I just love the job I'm doing. I don't know if I want to run for president. You know, sir, sir, are you thinking of running for Congress? Now, listen, I love being a small business owner, uh, but if my country called me to serve, maybe I would, right? So there, there's this long tradition in politics of pretending that you're not interested in politics, even though obviously you are, that's why you are in the political arena. So I don't, I, I don't really take AOC's comments at face value, but I do believe that she's had enough of Congress. I don't think AOC particularly enjoys being in Congress that much. I think she is being stymied in things that she wants to do. I think Congress is a total grind. I think you got to spend most of your money, most of your time rather, raising money. I think you got to travel back and forth to that district a lot. I think, as LBJ said, the difference between the Senate and Congress is the difference between chicken salad and chicken excrement. And I think that's all probably true, and AOC knows it. And frankly, I don't even know that she wants to be in the Senate because the Senate can't get very much done either. But something tells me she wouldn't mind being in that cabinet if Joe Biden is elected president. Something tells me she's angling for that. And that's very dangerous because right now AOC still has, I guess, some sort of democratic accountability to the people. But with the growth of the liberal progressive administrative state, more and more you have these czars implemented. You have people who come in and run departments who have basically no accountability to the people at all and who are able to effectively write the laws that govern us without any kind of vote, without even the public knowing very much about it. That's what you're going to see if Joe Biden is elected president. There will be a massive growth in the administrative apparatus. And who could be in charge of it? My goodness gracious, you could even get people like AOC in there. The stakes are very high. That's why it's very important not to concede a single thing until the legal process plays out, until the legal ballots are are counted until the legal, illegal ballots are thrown out or until the court stops the whole process because time has run out. There is no reason, though, to make a hasty concession right now. There is a lot on the line. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. And production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. How on earth can right-wingers challenge the legitimacy of an election? You never saw the left doing that for four years, supported by a wholly dishonest media who's now telling us they never did it. Or did we? Let's talk about it on The Andrew Claven Show.